Here with our pastor Benny Phillips, and we are going to be discussing his message from February twenty third. Um, why don't you give us a? It's from Ephesians. We're in our series in Ephesians uh, called "Revealing the Mystery," and we are at Ephesians chapter two, verses one through ten. So why don't you take us through uh, what the message was about briefly um, for those who maybe didn't hear it yesterday, and then we can get into some of the application. Sure, yeah, this message is, is, this passage is one of the uh, greatest passages in terms of clearly articulating uh, what the gospel is. And there's, there's basically three uh, very um, clear statements about uh, who we are. And uh, the way it plays out is that Paul talks about uh, what we were, uh, before we became Christians, uh, what God did, and then who we now are, what we now are. And so I just kind of walked through those three things because the first three verses of chapter 2, uh, James Boyce says, are some of the most uh, pessimistic views of human nature that you'll find anywhere. Right. Yeah. We are dead in our sins, and we are desperately in need of a Savior to rescue us from uh, God's wrath, because we are objects of God's wrath, and then quickly moves into the glorious grace of God in terms of what he did for us and what he did to uh, save us. He made us alive. He raised us up with Christ. We're seated with Christ. That whole uh, litany of statements he makes about what God did in Christ. And then it ends by really opening up what grace is, that what we now are because of the grace of God is so astounding and his salvation is so amazing and it is a salvation that is a gift from God. Our righteousness right. is a gift from God mm -hmm. and we are saved by grace. So that's kind of the basic outline of it. This message is a great example. I think you said uh, in the first message on Ephesians how elevated uh, the prose is and how much uh, Paul isn't mired down in any particular controversy. Um, he is able to just speak to some th theological points that he uh, finds right. glorious. And so his the way that Ephesians is written is much more, not much more than any other book, but more than any other book probably, sort of just... Uh, there's a lot of doxology. There's a lot of um, speaking of these vast um, truths. Right. Uh, and then um, this passage in particular, as yes. it relates to just <laughs> the reality of, like you said, it, it was a message that you could easily say what we were, what God did, who we are. Like right. It broke down into that. Right. And each of those points is a, uh, a deep 
philosophical right. point and yeah. theological point. It was it was a lot of fun to to listen to that message. The uh, from a practical sense um, and an application standpoint, you got into this idea that um, grace and sin are not opposites. That a lot of times we think of grace and sin as being opposite of each other, when really it's grace and wrath are opposite right. of each other, right. and sin and righteousness are opposite of right. each other. Um, dig into that a little bit, and then I've got a c- couple questions about um, practically uh, how to target, like you mentioned, targeting right. uh, well, sin yeah, with the, grace. The title that, that I used for the message was The Target of Sin, mm-hmm. and and the idea being that, yeah, the grace and sin are not opposites, that really the issue and the way Paul is talking about it here is that uh, sin is what grace targets in our life, that that uh, grace rescues us, Paul says in Titus 2, and in rescuing us then also teaches and trains us to say no to ungodliness. And so here Paul is being able to take this kind of, like you said, elevated doxology because he's not writing to a uh, specific church at this point. He's writing to a broader region and probably even had a more cosmic view of things in mind. And so he's talking about how grace does in fact deal with our sin. That Grace is greater than all our sin. And it targets our sin and deals with our sin. And then the application, although he doesn't get into a lot of application here, he will later in the book, obviously. But uh, there is implications that grace continues to target right. our sin even after our salvation and and that's where the sanctification aspect comes in where application comes in so as as i was listening um and as you're explaining how um grace targets sin um one th- one thing that i was thinking to ask is in your life or in uh, pastoring others, what are what are some of the um, what are some of the ways that we can think about this and on like a day to day application basis in terms of um, you know aim small miss small right like grace targeting particular sins how do we think about mortification as a grace filled um, process and what you know what can that look like practically yeah I think we need and when I say we I'm, I'm obviously talking about individually but I'm also in the broader church we need a more healthy view of a more well-rounded view of what grace uh, really is I think people get confused and we can talk about that in a little bit but I think practically speaking the mortification process is one where we recognize that we don't have any power to in ourselves to deal with the sin problem that we have. We're not going to be able to overcome it in ourselves. And it is the grace of God, the grace that saved us, the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And it's allowing the grace of God at work in our lives by the Spirit of God to identify our sin, mm-hmm. help us to understand its nature, and then to allow the Spirit of God to 
show us what change looks like. Now, all of this would involve, obviously, understanding the scripture and you know, right. that. But again, practically speaking, it means that we are not going to uh, be devastated by our sin, but neither are we going to treat it as if it's not a mortal enemy. Right. We need to understand that it is at enemy and that we are in a fight and a fight that we cannot win without the grace of god working in our lives yeah that's really good I th- and i think um the idea that grace that the specifically what you said about grace um, helping us to just even identify the sin to to understand because naturally left to ourselves we're blind to most of right. our sin right um so the first step is grace saying no that is something that needs to be rooted out and mortified. That is a sin. That's the first step of grace, right. of, of being able to recognize sin. Otherwise, you know, apart from our, you know, left to ourselves, we are not even going to recognize it is right. sin. Um, and then just feeling the motivation to do something about it. Because I know I can recognize something is sinful, and that is, I, I can just leave it there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not good at that. That's probably a sin. And but there's not that motivation to fight, and right. grace also is what provides the motivation. Correct. Um, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you got into it a little bit um, in the message about referencing how even the mortification process, justification is all of grace, sanctification also all of grace. Um, and so even in our fight, recognizing that this fight is through the power of the Holy Spirit, we do have a role to play. We absolutely right. Right. have to participate in the process, but even that is infused uh, with grace, and that's such an encouraging encouraging yeah. thought. And Paul says, you know, with all his energy at work mm-hmm. in me, right. I will, and then talks about the, yeah. the fight, yeah. All right, so we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about um, this idea that grace and sin are opposites, and that if you're focusing too much on sin, maybe you're not focusing enough on grace, or if you're focusing too much on grace, maybe you're not focusing enough on sin. Um, And I got a couple questions for our pastor about that, so we'll be back in a second. So Redeemer Church has had an incredible opportunity to be involved in a safe house for sex-trafficked women, Um, and my mother, whose name is Sheree, is here to talk a little bit about that. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to talk about this. I am stoked about this. We are partnering with a couple of other churches in the area at Letitia's house here in Orlando, and we got our first resident walk through the doors about a month ago, Joey, and I got to be there to say welcome home uh, to, we call her L, that's her, her first initial, and to see the look on her face when she walked into that house uh, was just, it was, I can't explain what I felt in that moment. It's amazing. Amazing. So Letitia's house is a place where women who have been, uh, humans who it's 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 a form of human slavery in our culture today can come and not only receive counseling and art therapy they can receive GED or other education milestone training 
uh, volunteers who are teaching Elle, for example, how to cook. They do uh, flower arranging with her. They do Bible study where she's able to understand how God can give her hope and healing so that she can walk into a future that's not only absent of abuse, but that, that can, she can become free from the shame Right. that has captivated and held her uh, through her human trafficking experience. If someone's listening to this and they they love what they're hearing and they want to be involved, what are some ways that they can be involved? How can they donate? Is there a way that they could uh, help serve at the house? Oh, absolutely. Letitia's house is over 90% volunteer-based. So the success of this amazing ministry is dependent on people in the community saying, what can I do? Can I help in practical ways? We need people who will come in and fix a faucet or help with lawn care. But we also need people who will come in and have a, a movie night on Friday night, bring their, cu- their their family or come as a couple or as an individual and just um, sit with our residents and have pizza and watch a movie together or people who might be interested in doing a cooking class or, or teaching uh, the ladies how to paint on canvas or just honestly, when I, when I talked to Elle recently and I asked her, okay, what, what's the most meaningful aspect? I didn't know what she would say. And she said, honestly, Cherie, what's most meaningful for me that people care enough about me that they want to come over and hang out with me. So we're looking for volunteers who can help in any number of ways. If you have a passion or a gift or a strength and you think, I wonder if Letitia's house could could use my volunteer hours, please call us or contact us at um, letitiashouse.com and let us know what you'd like to do. And, and let's see if we can make it work that you can make an impact on these ladies. That's great. What an incredible opportunity. So there has been, I think, um, a lot of talk in at least our circles of evangelicalism about um, basically arguing between (laughs) are we focusing too much on sin or are we focusing uh, too much on grace? And wrapped up in that conversation is the implication that these two things uh, don't go hand in hand. And from the message yesterday, and also from everything that you've taught over many years now, they do go hand in hand. Um, right. When you are fighting sin, that that implies grace is involved. When you are glorying in the grace of God, that implies that you're going to be fighting and mortifying your sin. Like those two things should go together. Where, why do we? So growing up, we, we I read Owen, John Owen like before I read any other theologian, he was the first theologian. That's probably not normal for a child. That was, a, <laughs> yeah, that was the first uh, theologian that I read. And the idea of be killing sin or sin will be killing you right? Um, was sort of beat into me. And I never found that to be antithetical to a focus on grace. I, I in my experience and in the way that um, we approached things as family and things like that, um, 
I never found them to be antithetical, but a lot of people clearly do. So what happens there? What goes wrong? Yeah, I mean, I don't know totally the answer to that. I mean, obviously, it's a historical one. I mean, it's that argument's been going on for, you know, years and years, centuries. But I think... Well, since, well, since Paul wrote about it in, yeah, in Rome. That's it's like, true. It's, well, this is in the Bible, yeah. but it's also answered in the, in the Bible. Bible. Yeah, and, and I think that the... The fact that Paul would be accused of uh, preaching a gospel that encourages sin shows how easy it is for things to get distorted. Right. Uh, because people, you know, they there there is this, you know, tendency to skew toward legalism because we want to have something to do with our salvation. Right. Well, when people see and experience the kind of the underside of that, the, the, the bad side of legalism, the, the oppressive side of legalism, uh, they react. They're hurt. They, um, you know, people haven't uh, taught them well. People haven't treated them well, right. you know, that kind of thing. And so they, they, they then move to this place of, well, Boy, I've heard the message of grace, and I am freed, and God loves me, and He, you know, He loves me more than uh, my sin, and you know that kind of thing. He loves me in spite of my sin, and and all of that is true. But there is, I think, this tendency then to, because we feel such relief that well, it it can't, God. God is a benevolent father. God is a doting father. And he loves us and he would never be angry at us. And he would never, you know, my father got angry and it was terrible. God, you know, and it, it just gets distorted. And, and the reality is, and that's what makes this so sad, is that what makes grace so amazing is that God, in spite of our wickedness, in spite of the fact that we deserve wrath, people in our society just cannot wrap their minds around the fact we're not lovely creatures. We are deserving of wrath. And that people just don't want to hear that and don't right. want to recognize that. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of that, um, that idea that, we we cannot we cannot deserve wrath. That doesn't make any sense to the modern mind. Right. We are generally good, and we make mistakes. Right. And yeah, sure, there are evil people out there. Um, with there there is a, a move in over the past number of years towards we do understand um, pointing at somebody else and saying that's horrible. And that should be punished. Mm -hmm. there, there is a sense of righteousness, whether whether it's political or um, when it comes to the church. There, we we do understand the idea that people should be held accountable for their actions, including actions in the past, and that's understood. But it's never it never seems to then take the step of well, if I feel that way about this particular issue. If that gets me, if that gets my righteousness so fired up, well, let's take a look at um, my relationship with the Creator. 
Right. And right. let's see where I fall short of his standard, like these people fall short of my standard, and then what that what that would mean. That step's never really taken. But for even for for Christians, even for folks who do understand the grace of God, there's a tendency to want, in my uh, estimation, at least among some, to that the focus on grace and not to single out Tully and Chivijin, um, but that his idea of sort of um, grace, what, what he would say is grace is so incredible and so amazing that uh, we, sh- we really shouldn't have to focus on sin. Right. Um, it's the reveling in grace. The sin will sort of take care of itself. Right. Which is not, again, not a John Owen or really Jonathan Edwards, a lot of these guys type of idea. Um, yeah. Is that just a, they don't want to think about sin? Is it a, what, where, is it, a, they grew up with a legalistic situation and they're balking against it? Um, what makes that position so attractive? Because to me, it's, you have to have a view of grace that is, um, I don't know, very limited, just because right. what, to me, the most, my experience has been the most amazing um, times of worshiping and and just loving the grace of God has been when a a sin has been mortified and defeated. And, yeah. I mean, I've, I'm sure people are motivated in a number of different ways. And I mean, it, a lot of times, even taking some, you know, an individual who is, you know, preaching a a grace that seems like it doesn't really take sin seriously. I mean, you can at times see the effects of that in their lives where there is just this, well, yes, I did do that, but God's forgiven me. Right. And well, and that's true. Right. But it's only true in the sense that the revelation you have about that sin and the wickedness of that sin, your understanding of what God has done is what then informs how you respond to the grace of God in your life. If you respond to grace with that, well, yeah, yes, I made a mistake, yes, you know, like David, I fell, you know, and what you're communicating is that we can't help it, we can't overcome it, it's just the way that it is, and God understands. It's like, well, you're right, we can't overcome it without the help of the Spirit and the grace of God. But by the grace of God, we will overcome it. We will take it seriously. We will deal with this sin because this sin is ravaging my life and the life of others. And it's, and it's when you don't hear words like sin is ravaging my life and others' lives, you have to wonder if they have an understanding, a Pauline understanding of what sin does and then how great grace is right. because it conquers the ravages of that sin. It's, you know, it's, it's clear you know, in Scripture, but then there's probably people who might even be listening and says, well, no, it's not clear to you, it's clear to me, and you are emphasizing the wrong thing. Right. And it's just like, well, sin, sin can be emphasized too much. If, oh, certainly. In different ways, and that's absolutely the case. Another thing I find interesting 
along these lines. Well, let me, before you do that, I agree with that. I mean, I think now putting on my counselor's hat, I'm not going to enter into a counseling session and lead with somebody's sin. Right. I don't want to bring the guilt and the condemnation onto them myself. That's got to be a work of the Spirit. Right. I'm going to lead with the fact that it's a safe place. You can trust God. You can go to Him with your brokenness. Absolutely. And He will heal you. So, I mean, there is, you know, wisdom, pastoral wisdom that has to be used. But ultimately, people need to understand and see the devastating effects of sin. Right. And brokenness versus sin, there is wisdom in terms of how to... um, approach things and helping people see what's going on in their lives in terms of, you know, that even if sin is at the root of it, there's some brokenness that they're walking through that right. they need to be helped right. with before right. that, that is a, a, um, there's a lot that we could talk about there that we're not going to get to in this podcast. Right. In terms right. Of that. right. Um, some of the folks who it seems to me do have a, um, pretty good view of, sin and grace and how uh, grace targets sin um, individually are not so good at applying that to um, corporate sin or systemic um, mm. sin. And I've no- we've noticed this, I think, a lot more recently as um, conversations are, are going on in churches, but in the country as a whole in terms of uh, sort of systemic injustices. Um, You have sort of camps breaking off between folks who want to say, why is, for instance, the SBC still writing papers about the fact that their founders had slaves and repenting about it? Why is... Um, which is the which is Legan Duncan's right. group? Uh, the Presbyterians are putting out things in their general assemblies, um, repenting of sins from the 1960s. This is we're we're wallowing in old sins, and why are we doing this? From folks who do seem to have a very good understanding of sin and grace, when it comes to uh, individually, grace targets sin. You got to be fighting sin. They would right. acknowledge all these things. Um, but there's not really an understanding how grace targets sin um, that is corporate. Yeah, I mean, I think I think folks who would complain that groups like the SBC or whatever are continuing to acknowledge the sins of their fathers, um, and why can't we just move on, is partly because justice hasn't fully rolled down yet. Right. You know, that there are still those those who are being affected by that systemic sin, you know, generations later, there are the disenfranchised who are, are disenfranchised because there has been these long-lasting effects socially of racism and other things. And when that is acknowledged by those whose forefathers were a part of the problem, it doesn't remove the systemic problem, but what it does do is it opens up the dialogue, it opens up the the opportunity for unity to 
right in and for a sensitivity for what people are walking through to, to emerge and really can be helpful. And those who would complain about that, again, I think it's just a, a lack of a recognition that they may be more affected by the sins of their fathers than they're aware of, that they yeah. don't want to deal with the ugliness of the fact that, you know, my father used horrible language when he talked about people of color. You know, he he was a good man, and yet he... This had, is not an example. This is an actual example actual from example, your life. Yeah, yeah. My, my father, you know, had hatred in his heart, and he was you know, a church planter and lead deacon at the Baptist church. I mean, he, um, I mean, he really did love God, but there was right. hatred in his heart. And, and for me to come to grips with that um, and say, you know what, I am a part of the problem still because I, I need to do a better job of uh, engaging with those who have been affected long-term by that kind of attitude and that kind of sin and men who voted for those kinds of laws. You know, so. What would be your response to somebody who would say, that's all well and good, that's a, a family uh, history that you're coming to grips with, that's great. Um, but what, what their concern would be is then... They would understand in the 60s there needed to be repentance because we need to stop segregating schools and churches and blah, 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 blah. What's the point of, well, once, since we've acknowledged that, what's the point of continuing to talk about it now? There's nothing else to be done. There's nothing else to... Yeah, well, <laughs> I would... What, what I, is I would, there I would, to be I would, done? Like I just raised my eyebrows to you, I would raise my eyebrows to them and say you've got to be kidding that you can't see the um, effect that this is having in the streets of some of our cities where you know you you have young black men being shot down simply because they're black and and again argue the the law enforcement side of it at, back and forth all you want and i agree that law enforcement have have they have a terrible uh job description in a lot of ways in terms of and it's very very difficult and they serve heroically but the fact of the matter is you think different the fact of the matter is i still think differently hmm. i mean i honestly will have to check myself at times when I'm in certain situations that make me feel uncomfortable. I'm thinking, why am I feeling uncomfortable? Right. And, and so I, that, you're not going to get a good answer. You're going to, not going to get a rational answer out of me on that one because I just, I, I don't understand that mentality. Yeah, well, and I, because I don't think that many people would be as honest as you just were then. Like, I, that's rare. I don't think that when these types of questions are raised and brought up, um, folks who do a very, very good job at times of um, getting in deep with their own hearts when it comes to grace and sin, when it comes to this particular issue, are very reticent.
Yeah. Um, and then they also just don't do the work to um, to sort of apply their their well thought out theological grid to um, corporate issues. That, right. that to me, that's part of it. Is it's this sort of this the uh, individualism of America has crept into the church yeah. in such a way that that at times folks just think so individualistically right. that they have trouble saying, wait a second, if this systemic thing that was happening, um, clearly the effects are still there. You could probably convince most of, most of them of that. Um, but then what is to be done about it? They don't want to take that next step. Right. Um, and a lot of them feel like they're being forced into it. That's the, part of it is... It's a conversation they don't want to be having, and so if you force them into the conversation, you're going to get some backlash. So we got yeah. uh, we got far afield yes, on this did. one. This My is goodness. not what the message was about, <laughs> um, but I did want to uh, ask that. I'm glad that I uh, got some of those answers out of you. Good. So. Good. We will be back next week to discuss. I'm actually preaching next week, um, so it'll be a fabulous message, I'm sure, <laughs> and we'll have a lot to discuss when it comes to the application. So. Uh, Thank you for listening to Apply the Word, a podcast of Redeemer Church, and we'll be back next week.